When I think about my time as a child growing up, which as we all know was a really long time ago since I'm 26 now, I shouldn't have said that from there. I should have never said that. When I think about growing up though, I'm constantly reminded just time and time and time again uh, of those in my life who had such a great impact on me. Those who helped shape me, those who helped mold me, who helped form me into the man that I am today and into who, uh, just how I am as a person. And I think about my mentors. I think about uh, the people who invested their time and their energy and their effort in, in me, um, even though they didn't have to, um, just simply because of their genuine love, their care, and their concern for me. And obviously, I'm grateful for that. And I know that as it comes to, to each of us, we can all uh, think about individuals in our lives, can't we, who have been uh, such a great help to us into getting us to where we are uh, today. People who had such a great influence on us. And it's neat to think about because when you think about it, um, we think about it in the sense of, that we ourselves now in the positions that we are, for those of us who are older, are sometimes being that influence and that mentor to the people uh, who are younger than us. And it's kind of neat how you see it kind of go full circle. You know, this morning we talked about the importance of our families and how that is going to be a great focus of, uh, of our sermons here in 2023. And Joey did such a great job this morning talking about that. Um, and up some probably 60 to 70 percent of our sermons uh, this year are going to be focused on this mission statement that we have come up with, the elders have come up with uh, some years ago. But there's another part, isn't there, to what the main purpose of the Lord's church is. Certainly strengthening the family is vitally important. That was showcased to us this morning. You all know that very, very well. But we must also never, ever, ever neglect those in our world, should we? Those who are outside of the walls of the Lord's church. You and I must be able to influence our communities and to do so with the truth in love. You and I must be able to have an impact, to have some kind of influence on those around us, just like when we were younger. And there were those in our lives who were influencing and impacting our lives to help shape us into who we are today. This obviously is a God-given command. We've read all throughout the New Testament. We know that this is this to be the case. We know of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was telling them to essentially, and in our term right here, to go into the world and to do what? to make an impact, right? To influence the people who were around them, the people in which, with which they came in contact, they were to teach the gospel. They were to influence them for good. We see it happening in Acts chapter 8 when the persecution of the church was arising against the church. Those who were the Christians there were being scattered abroad. And in the meantime, as they were going out, what were they doing? Again, in our term here, they were impacting the world. They, they were influencing those who were around them. And the same command is there for you and I today as New Testament Christians. We must have an influence on the world around us and specifically within our communities. When it comes to this idea of influence and specifically our ability to impact our communities. I think two ideas really come to focus when we talk about this here right at the outset. Here's number one. I think oftentimes you and I influence us, influence those around us when you and I don't even realize it. Oftentimes we make such an impact on the people around us without even realizing what it is that we are doing. Influencing people is not always when it comes to the idea of you and I as Christians influencing our communities, it's not always just sitting down with someone and having a Bible study with them, is it? 
It's not always inviting someone to worship or trying to teach someone the gospel. Influencing someone is not always a conscious decision. Certainly all of those things are absolutely necessary, but so many times it is just simply by the way you and I carry ourselves in our everyday lives, how you and I respond to certain situations, how we react in different circumstances. Certainly that has a great deal uh, of impact on those around us. And we're going to talk a lot about this during the course of our time this evening. But here's the second thing that I think about when I, when I think about this idea of influence, that you and I often make a bigger impact than you and I could ever, ever realize. When I think about the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest evangelists to ever walk this earth, you and I all know about the great impact. We know about the great impact that he had on those who were there in the first century. Obviously talking about those who were within the walls of the Lord's church at that time, there is no telling how many people are in paradise right now awaiting their heavenly reward because of what Paul did for them, because of his teachings, because of his influence, because of his impact and how he encouraged them and edified them and helped them to get to the point to where they were. But I think about the communities in which Paul found himself and his interactions with those people in the world. It all all of the probably hundreds of cities that he visited during his time while he was here on this earth, all of the thousands of people that he would have come into contact with during his time as someone who is teaching the gospel, there is no telling how many people are in paradise right now awaiting their heavenly reward simply because of the impact that the apostle Paul had on them in their lives without Paul even realizing it. Brothers, brothers and sisters, the same can be said of us, that if we live our lives the way that God has prescribed for his children to live, certainly we can have a great impact on those around us, whether we realize it or not. You and I think, may think that sometimes we're not doing any good. Maybe sometimes we think that we're not making a difference, and, and truth be told, in many situations, I suppose, numeri numerically speaking, we are just a drop in the bucket, aren't we? We are outnumbered in, in the in sense of, of it is us versus the entire world. But that didn't stop Paul, did it? That didn't stop Elijah. It didn't stop Jeremiah and brothers and sisters. It should not stop us either. If you and I want to fulfill this first God-given command, to impact and to influence our communities, but then second, to fulfill this mission statement that has been put forth by the elders of this congregation, I have to be able to look deep within myself. I have to be willing to ask myself if I am being the best that I can be for Jesus Christ and for his cause, and if I'm doing all that I can to be a good example, to be that good influence on the world around us and within our communities. I have to be willing to self-analyze, to look within myself, to make sure that I'm being as active as I can. There are three things that I think will benefit us greatly individually. As you and I look at this idea of influencing our communities, three things I want to bring to our attention here this morning. Number one, you and I are able to influence our communities when we have the right attitude. You and I are able to influence our communities if we have the right attitude. When it comes to the gospel, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of the gospel, you and I know that the first opportunity for the gospel went to the Jews. We understand that. In fact, Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that the power of God to salvation was for everyone who believes, but for who first? For the Jew first. That's who it went to before it went to anybody else. And within all of that, what did the Jews think? What was the Jews' mindset about that? They knew the gospel was first for them before anybody else, and I suppose that that made them prideful in their thinking. It puffed them up in their thinking, and I guess it took them as, to far, as far as to thinking that they were the only ones, 
the only ones who should have ever had an opportunity for the gospel. And their hatred, their distaste for the people around them, for the Gentiles that were around them was on full display throughout the New Testament. And it came to light at their opportunity to hear the gospel. In fact, we read about this in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, you and I remember that Paul and Barnabas have been in the, have been in the synagogues preaching and teaching. And when they're done, when they're coming out, they're being begged by the people to come back and to continue teaching and preaching. As a preacher, that, that's the response that you hope. Sometimes when you preach and you get down, you're begged to never come back. But here in this situation, they're being begged to come back and to continue teaching and to continue preaching. And so on the next Sabbath, they come back and all the city gathers together to hear them preach the gospel. But guess what? The Bible says that the entire city was there. So who does that include? Both Jew and Gentile. Notice in verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were what? Filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Why? Why did they have that kind of attitude? Just a week ago in, in the time there, back in verse 43, the Bible tells us that they were following Paul and Barnabas and they were persuading them to continue in the grace of God. And yet here they are, Gentiles in their midst, hungering and thirsting for the gospel and because of that, the Jews are filled with envy. They're filled with hatred. They're filled with a distaste for their fellow man. So much so to where it blinds them from the message of the men that they were just encouraging some seven days before. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn it to the Gentiles. I say all of that in talking about Acts chapter 13 to say this. You and I need to beware lest we become like the Jews in our thinking. The, the song that was led uh, just before the sermon, the gospel is for all. Of one the Lord has made the race, through one has come the fall. Where sin has gone must go his grace. The gospel is for all. Just as Jesus Christ died for each one of us sitting here today, he also died for every single person in our world. John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And until you and I come to that realization, until that is the way that our attitudes are able to see people, we won't be effective in influencing our communities. In Ephesians chapter 3, you and I read about a term uh, that is described of as the mystery of Christ or the mystery of the gospel. And I think some people tend to get all wound up whenever they read passages like that, trying to figure out what exactly this great mystery is. Uh, but Paul is just simply talking about how the gospel is for Jew and for Gentile. And how grateful each of each of us should be here today for that, because as far as I know, none of us are from Jewish or, or Hebrew descent, are we? How grateful we should be that the gospel has gone to the Gentile world. Here's something I think that you and I have to conquer in the way that we think about those in our world when it comes to being able to have an influence on the communities. And I, I think, Joe, we talked about this a little bit in the personal evangelism class that y'all are going through on Wednesday nights. I think that so many times before you and I ever even attempt to try to talk to someone about the gospel, we make up our minds about the way that person is going to respond, don't we? So-and-so, they're never going to listen to me. They're never going to hear me teach them the gospel. They're never going to hear what I'm saying. They won't obey the gospel. Why even bother to try? That, that homosexual that I know, what's the point in trying to build a relationship with them? They're never going to change. 
They're not going to see the truth. That person's, oh, they, they've had an abortion. Surely they've gone too far and, and they won't ever listen. Surely in their mind, they're never going to be able to recover from that. Brothers and sisters, why do we get to decide that? Does the Great Commission tell us that before you and I are to go and to teach, that we are to make up our minds about how the people that we are trying to teach the gospel to are going to react, how they're going to receive the gospel? When you and I do that, we strip someone of the opportunity to hear about Christ, and we don't even give them the chance in the first place. When I say we, generally speaking, we have got to change our mindset, to change our attitudes if you and I want to be able to influence the communities around us, understanding that no one is truly good enough for the gospel, and yet we are all alike in that we are all presented with the opportunity to answer that gospel call. When we have the, that kind of attitude, you and I can have a great influence on our communities. Here's number two. You and I are able to influence our communities through our own convictions. Why do you and I believe what we, what we believe? Why do we go about living the life of a Christian in the way that we do so? Why do we make the choices that we choose to make? Why do we make the decisions that we decide to do? Why live our lives in the way that we live them? You and I know that it's because of our study and our belief in the word of God. Because of those things, you and I are convicted. We believe that through faith, through fact, and through history, that all of these things that we read and that we know and that we study are true. That this, talking about the gospel, is the standard by which you and I are to live. It's the standard by which we are all going to be judged by one day. Say John chapter 12, verse 48, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. That's why we are the way that we are. That's why we live the way that we live. Not because we're being forced to live that way. Not because we're being bribed to live that way. Not because uh, we don't have a choice in the matter we're not robots we have free free moral agency we have free will but it's simply because of our convictions and the inspired word of almighty god you and i can influence our communities by living out the convictions that we hold as christians but that also comes with saying this you and i cannot say that we are convicted by the message of the book and then simply live our lives however we want to live them that that in fact is detrimental to your, to your influence on your community. I'm a Christian, but I live however it is that I want to live. That's not how Christianity works. And our communities see that. They understand that. They know that that's not how it's supposed to be. I'm reminded of the Pharisees when I think about that concept. Those religious leaders in the day of Jesus, they studied, they knew the law, they supposedly loved the one who wrote the law. They were supposed to be convicted by it to the point to where they knew how to teach it, but then they also knew how to apply it, and they did that. And yet when Jesus is talking about them in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 3, he says, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Don't be like the Pharisees in your actions. Don't claim to be convicted only to turn around and live a life that is full of half-hearted Christianity. Our communities, people in general, they see right through all of that, don't they? And if for any reason at all, it's a lifestyle that denies you of your eternal reward, don't be like that. Live a life full of conviction. The idea that you and I are convicted that there is a God and that he is alive. That, that, that he is the one who has created this world in which we live. That he is the one who sustains all life that there is. That he is the one who set out from the very beginning. This grand scheme of redemption that you and I are able to answer, that he's the one who wants all to repent and to be saved. And when I'm truly convicted, 
when I hold fast to these convictions, when I hold fast to all of these things in which I believe, it completely changes the way that I live my life. For those who are in the world, why do they live the way that they live? Why do they fulfill their fleshly lusts and their fleshly desires? Why do they do those things that are contrary to the gospel? Because they don't hold those same convictions that you and I hold. Why else would they live the lives that, why else would we live the lives that we live? We've been told to be different from the world, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We've been told that we're called to be different, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Why else would God be telling us to live different lives? When our communities see our convictions, when they see us living out those convictions, it has more of an impact on them than I think you and I ever realized. That's why I started out by saying you and I don't ever know, we don't ever fully understand the great impact that you and I have on the people that are around us. When we have the right convictions, it just very well may influence those around us for good. But you and I could also flip that coin, couldn't we? We could understand how if we profess to be Christians, that we profess to have these convictions about us in the way that we live our lives, and yet if we don't live our lives in harmony with those things that we say, It will influence our community, certainly, but just not in the way that you and I are certainly hoping for. Don't be a counterfeit Christian. Be a convicted Christian. And in line with that, here's number three, the final one for this evening. You and I are able to influence through our faithfulness. If you and I want to be able to have an influence on our communities, we can do so through our faithfulness. If you and I are truly convicted, if we are truly grounded and firm, and our beliefs and all the things that, that we believe as Christians, it's going to show forth in my faithfulness to follow after the word of God and to do everything that I can to be pleasing to him in my life. It's not just going to be empty words, is it? It's not going to be uh, me just saying these things then living completely a different life. I'm going to, as we say today, put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to live out the things that I believe. And I'm going to make that choice to be faithful to Christ in all areas of my life. When I do that, when you and I do that as Christians, it speaks a great deal to the world around me. Someone might come up to you and say, hey, do you want to come over on Sunday? Come for brunch and we'll hang out and we'll watch the football game. What do you say? What do you say? You have an opportunity to influence those around you, to influence your community. What do you say? You say, no. I have worship on Sunday mornings. That's what I do on the first day of the week. What about someone who says, well, someone from your work that says, let's just go to the bar uh, on Friday night. We'll just relax, blow off some steam, enjoy a few drinks together. What do you say? You have an influence to impact the people around you. How do you respond? You say, no, I don't drink alcohol. Well, well, what about whatever it is that you want to put there? What do you do? When we talk about influencing our community, we are presented and we are presented with opportunity after opportunity to showcase our faithfulness to God. What do we do? I suppose it really boils down to the word priority, doesn't it, for us. Whatever I deem to be the most important thing in my life, that is what is going to receive my time, my attention, and my effort. That is to what I am going to be faithful in this life. And unfortunately, Far too many people are faithful to the world over being faithful to the word. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life have claimed far too many victims, more than I suppose that sometimes we even care to admit. And more often than not, it's all because we have allowed God to fall in our priorities. When it comes to us as Christians, we need 
more Joshuas, don't we? Joshua talk, or Joey talked about, that, talked about Joshua briefly this morning. We, we need more Loises and Eunices in our lives. We need more, more Calebs, and not me, but the Caleb in the Bible. We need more men, don't we, to stand up and to faithfully lead their families. D- despite what the world may be doing, despite what our communities may be doing, despite what maybe those even in our own congregations might be doing at times, we need more men to stand up and to faithfully not only say, but to live out the phrase, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. We need more women to be godly mothers, to be the godly mothers that they have been called to be, to lay that foundation for their children from the time that they were young kids and to teach their children the way of the Lord, just as Lois and Eunice did for Timothy. We need more fearless individuals that in whatever giants stand their way, whatever comes between them and whatever it is that they need to do in order to be faithful to God, they know that within their faithfulness, God himself will be faithful to them just as God was to Caleb. You and I, as Christians understand when it comes to the Lord's church, we need more faithful soldiers of the cross. And when we are faithful, having put our hand to the plow, not looking back, Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, when you and I have counted the cost, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, we understand what it is that we're going to have to sacrifice, what it is that we're going to have to put to death as it comes to following Christ. And when we keep our eyes always reaching forward, Looking ahead towards that goal of heaven, Philippians chapter 3, if we do these things, you and I can greatly impact and influence our communities that are around us. We've talked so far uh, this morning and this evening about our mission statement, this idea of strengthening our families and influencing our communities and doing so by embodying the truth in love. What uh, a challenge that is that has been laid out for us by the elders of this congregation. What a challenge it is that you and I must take seriously as it comes to the way that we live our lives, both within our families, within the church family, but also within our communities around us. It's a challenge that you and I must be able to live up to, and the question is up to you. Are you going to answer that challenge? Are you going to answer that call? Are you going to do all that you can to be who you're supposed to be, to be who God has called you to be as a New Testament Christian and to influence those around you. Perhaps you're here this evening and maybe you haven't made that first step yet um, in becoming a Christian. Know that we can take care of that tonight. You can come forward, repent of your sins, uh, confessing Christ's precious name, being baptized in the water, and you will be added to the family that is here at the Roanoke Church of Christ. And certainly uh, that would give us great joy. It would give you great joy. The angels in heaven, in heaven would be rejoicing. Perhaps you're here, maybe you are a Christian, but maybe you haven't been living your life in a way that, uh, that's pleasing with God and with his word. Perhaps some of the things that have been said this morning, talking about our families, maybe some of the things that have been said this evening concerning the way that you interact with your communities, maybe they're not in a line. People know that and you want to come back and you want to repent of those things and rededicate your life to Christ, understanding that he is your king and that you're living for him. If that's the case, won't you come as together we stand and as we sing the invitation song. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.